Okay, welcome into another episode of the TD Pod. This is Travis Roeder here with Jeff Davis. We are doing our last position group preview of the preseason. So we've kind of talked to the whole team up to this point, and our last remaining item is the defensive passing game. So obviously we're going to be heavily focusing on the he- on the secondary here, but obviously impacting in the secondary is the defensive line and the linebackers too, so we'll talk about their roles. But big emphasis on the secondary this week. What we want to cover is and make this episode useful for – you know, everyone, not just Baylor fans, you know, and not just Big 12 fans, but any football fan to listen to is, you know, Jeff and I will not claim to be the the mega experts on the Aranda Pasty. Uh, it can get pretty complicated, but we're going to try and run through the basics of the coverages, what they're looking for in players and, you know, and how they execute these basics. So first of all, Jeff, you know, how, uh, how do you feel about this topic compared to others? Uh, is this in your wheelhouse? Is it kind of on your periphery? You know, pass coverage for me is like, I feel like I can stare at all 22 film of pass coverage for hours and I'm sure I'm learning something, but man, it's, it's tough. I, so I, I really enjoy pass coverage. Um, I, the thing about pass coverage is that people really get, I think people are um, a little like Madden poisoned in this regard, which is I think people's in- introductions to coverages are so driven through playing Madden that, it, that, you know, those rules, you know, when you're drawing and you're selecting a Madden play, like you're not actually looking and genuinely selecting like what are the coverage match rules that you want to optimize for against a specific wide receiver. You're calling like cover two or, you know, some sort of like doubles on the inside or something like that. And it's, there's no way to really get across through the game, the concept of how many rules go into it for a secondary player and how much they actually have to learn. Um, Cause it's a lot. And so it's coverages are oftentimes one of those things where you can watch an all 22 and you really can't know who made a mistake unless you know what the play call was, you know, it's, very it that it's just it, it can be very difficult particularly when there's a check in the on the line like when we don't even see that there's a check that goes off because they're in trips or you know there's a specific um you know i think back to the uh interception against old miss and uh, that was returned for a touchdown and doyle pointed out after the game i believe that they actually had a check called for that because they could see the tight end's feet and the way he was structured they knew it was going to be a pass play and they called a check that put um matt jones in the throwing lane who got the tip which resulted in the pick and you know, if you hadn't spoken with, I mean, it was a great play to return that, but really the great play was, I mean, it's a bunch of great plays, but it's all chained together in terms of seeing, like seeing that that was a likely pass play based off an alignment that the tight end was providing, having the wherewithal to issue that check at the line without, you know, calling a timeout and then subsequently being able to actually execute it. And so there's just, there's so much that goes into pass coverage that, it's it can be a lot of times where if you don't know what the coach is actually teaching the players, it can be pretty um, dense, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, I think about um, the easy long touchdown pass that Texas had to Xavier Worthy last year, where mm-hmm. there was clearly some sort of miscommunication between Kalen Barnes at corner and Jared McVeigh inside at safety, 
and I think still to this day, maybe Jeff, maybe Jeff, you've received clarification for what exactly went wrong there. But I know that one of them messed up, and I know that given certain rules, uh, you know, depending on what the call was, it could have been either one of them that messed up is. But I don't know what the call was, so that's where it's yeah. kind of difficult to yes. shrug your, you, you know, you shrug your shoulders and say, you know, I feel like I can get ninety five percent of the way there, but it, you know, it, I feel like you know, when you watch linebackers play, when you watch the when you watch the front play, really. You, you recognize that, you know, based on alignment and based on post-stat movement, you have a pretty good idea of which gap each guy should be responsible for. Um, and you can tell that even without knowing the call. I, you know, that's a general statement, but I think in general that's true. And I, I think a lot of times that's the frustration with the secondary is you, you can get 95% of the way there, but unless you know what that – unless you've seen the playbook and unless you've seen, you know, heard the call, you just don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into the basics here. I think the first topic we wanted to cover is, you know, you've talked about the Madden poisoning of the brain here, right, where, you know, you call cover two and everyone goes into those neat little circles and that's that kind of true true, uh, true zone drop coverage. But really that, that almost never happens in modern football anymore. Can we talk about, you know, zone match versus true zone? versus man match versus the, you know these kind of base concepts that govern everything sure so i think if you're i'll go back to the madden analogy if you're used to playing madden at all or if you listen to um commentators at all at football in the last 30 years you hear a lot of terms like tampa two or cover two or cover three or the legion of boom um they those people almost all those coverages are almost all uniformly known as basically what is true zone or it, oftentimes I've heard it called country coverages, which is you're dropping to a spot and you're covering the area around that spot. And this is yeah, the two best iterations of this that I can think of are the Tampa two scheme from 20 years ago that uh, was popularized and ran very heavily at Tampa Bay. But honestly, the Chicago Bears later in the decade ran it better. Um, and then the Legion of Boom, who ran a cover three version of it. Um, those, in a lot of ways, I think th those coverages are a little um, out of date just because modern offenses have really evolved to try to attack them. Um, but, you know, you still see, you do still see a decent amount of that there. Uh, the other one, though, that we'll talk about is man, like of the, the second of those three, though, is man match. And so man match is something that is near as I can tell was really kind of, I think, invented, for lack of a better word, probably it, not like from whole cloth, but really assembled from various, various uh historical context by the combination of one Nick Saban and one Bill Belichick, if y'all have ever heard their names. Um, there's a rather famous story of the two of them getting together over a long weekend when they were on opposing staffs and they weren't supposed to be talking to each other. Uh, and they got together and I believe either Bill taught Nick um, his basic rules around man match or it was a vice versa for a particular call that they refer to as uh, Rip Liz. We'll get into that in a oh, little bit. Oh, no. I, I thought we could get through this whole thing without saying Rip Liz. We've become without the, saying Rip Liz. We've become the scheme boys, Jeff. We've become the scheme boys. Um, <laughs> but uh, man, match, man match means that um, you are trying to play man. Basically, you are playing man, but depending on the route combinations, you may end up playing man on a different player. So, you know, I, I, the easiest way I can think of this is to say that let's say you're a cornerback and your wide receiver goes like vertical up the field. 
Okay. Um, depending on a play call, maybe you run with that person a hundred percent up the field. But for example, if there is a uh, slot receiver that's running an outbreaking route to the area you're vacating, maybe once you see that that person, the inside receiver is running an outbreaking route, you drop your primary guy that's running vertical and you move to cover the outbreaking inside wide receiver. And at that point, the safety is responsible for manning up against the wide receiver running down the sidelines. Uh, that's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways. Well, there's a lot more there that goes into man match, but th that's really kind of the, um, the gist of it. Uh, everyone's favorite coach, uh, Gary Patterson is pretty famous for having run a lot of man match principles and really kind of simplifying man match to, uh, for his kind of teaching style and philosophy. Um, he's pretty famous for that in coaching circles. Uh, Nick Saban, on the other hand, has approximately about a 1,400-page playbook, and he has an encyclopedic understanding of defense, and they kind of run every, you know, absolutely everything. Uh, but that's that's really what a man match is in terms of you're playing man from the snap, but depending on the route combinations, you may drop your man to pick up another man, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the last one that's really kind of, that's newer, that is really kind of coming into vogue, and the person that I think does the best job of this in all of football, both uh, college and maybe also with the pros, is Dave Aranda, and that's zone match. Um, these principles are also a little bit in effect um, at the NFL level. They're coming in, the, and I cannot believe, I cannot remember his name, but the gentleman who just got fired from uh, Denver that I think um, should not have been, uh, does it well. Uh, the head coach at San Diego has put this in as well. But a zone match is basically you drop to a zone area and then once a player moves into your area of responsibility, at that point you run in, you change into running man and follow that person out of the zone. That's probably the biggest difference between a zone match and a true zone is that in a true zone, you're always staying, you're, you're covering grass. In a zone match, you're really covering the man that moves into that grass. Um, and that zone match can work very, uh, extremely well. I mean, we've seen evidence of that. Uh, but one of the things it has to be able to be relying on, and this is the last thing I'll say before I stop rambling, is um, zone match is very, very reliant on um, basically quarterback pressure. And if you think back to the TCU game, you know, everyone post game, you know, they gave up 30 something points to, you know, the next Heisman winner at TCU in that game. And, it, 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 you know, if you were an average fan, you're kind of looking at it going like how, like, why did TCU score 30 plus when they haven't been able to do that? But, you know, our, our, our secondary is, is bad. The most you know, points that early. Aranda has given up at Baylor was in that game. Yeah. Yep. And they, you know, they kind of torched him. And Aranda, after the game, was pretty direct and said, "Yeah, it really wasn't our secondary. It was the, it was the defensive line." And the reason for that was, in a zone match, you when you break on a player, you're assuming that you're going to like once you break that area of the field becomes vacated. And so, if the pass rush doesn't get there, you're going to leave gaping holes in the secondary. And they were able to get that cleaned up prior to the Oklahoma game. But it does mean that your pass rush has to work very – it's really working in concert with your um, pass coverage specifically. So that's that's what I would say is the, the overall difference between those three. And I think, yeah, that's, that's it's really neat to think about it that way. And, and I think sometimes where you can see the biggest coverage errors or busts in college is – 
now that so many teams are kind of running versions of all three of these, perhaps, um, or at least two out of the three, it can be tough on on these college kids to, to you know, to learn how to execute all of them. I think about um, you know the the Tua uh, the Tua throw in the national title game a few years back against Georgia when he hit the receiver down the sideline versus cover two, and I think about Georgia's safety who. Uh, very clearly, like the way it was a true, like he needed to be in a deep half spot, right? But he like yeah. just had his eyes in the backfield. He wasn't, he just wasn't fully engaged with that responsibility of playing a true cover two, which I imagine Georgia didn't do extremely often. And, uh, you know, he just got burned because the corner was playing a true cover two and the safety just didn't get to his spot. Um, and so, yeah, and, and obviously smart Kirby smart, uh, Georgia's head coach is a, you know, save and disciple. So those guys are probably more used to those man match principles as opposed to just kind of dropping back to their, to their, uh, you know, true country cover two spot. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. I think what was, uh, I was going to make another point there, but that's all right. We'll keep motoring on. Let's talk about, let's talk about the basics of, so you, you, you very helpfully elucidated, uh, Dave Aranda's preference for zone match coverage let's talk about and i'm talking a broad overview here the dave's you know preferred coverages we're not going to get into specific rules and specific checks versus empty versus trips and all that kind of stuff i mean that you know you can listen to hours and hours of of coaching clinics if you want to get that Um, but we want to overview these because unless you understand what the scheme asks of a player you can't really provide any sort of insightful analysis for what the player needs to do. So let's talk about, uh, you know, Dave and Ron Roberts's most core coverages that you're going to see on standard and passing downs, which really the, the run versions of, co- of quarters, which is cover four, tends to play out more like a man. Um, you know, they run cover one and cover three, which tend to be very, very um, – excuse me, very, very similar because they're both, uh, you know, middle of the field closed coverages with a single high safety. And they also run Tampa two, which I think about a lot because Dylan Doyle is really good running back into that uh, kind of deep middle spot. And obviously cover two, Tampa two is this coverage where the corners, well, it's not actually just the corners. You have two, you have two flat players, two deep half players, and then a bunch of hook and curl defenders in the middle. What's fun about Aranda's defense, I'll let you get into this, Jeff, is that you, there's kind of a million different ways to get into cover two because, you know, you talk about the the Tampa Bay Bucks and you talk about Chicago. Most of those teams, if you're running cover two, they had the corners in there every single time. But what's fun about the Aranda Roberts defense, given the, the way they play their outside backers and the creepers they use, you know, I think about Garmin Randolph's interception against Iowa State last year. He was actually the cover two flat player at the outside linebacker position. So anyway, um, I just want to provide an overview there. What is kind of the basic difference? If you want to break it up, I guess, into two high coverages, which would be your cover two and your cover four versus your uh, middle of the field closed coverages one and three. Yeah. So if for the for the listener that's not familiar with the terms, I would the category for pass coverage really starts in three areas. One is a genuine prevent that is not germane to this discussion but those the rules for a like there's 50 seconds left and the team is trying to get down the field the rules for that are different than pretty much everything else think of that a little bit like a um uh, red zone or a goal line offense defense where it's just you know there's a bunch of rules but it doesn't happen all that often so it's not as it's not as pertinent so i just want to mention that and then kind of park that somewhere else for now um, but the other two classifications would start with basically middle of the field open and middle of the field closed. And what that means is, do you have, I mean, pretty much what it sounds like, 
uh, I would start first and foremost with the, is there a man that covers the middle of the field? Uh, that is typically a free safety responsibility. Normally the, the ultimate example of a middle of the field closed defense is the Legion of boom. And it usually means that you're playing a one high or a three high, which is what um, Seattle played. And you have to have, you have to have the guy at free safety to run that. And of course the Seattle Seahawks did in Earl Thomas, who is one of the two best free safeties of the last 25 years. Um, a middle of the field, a middle of the field open though, means that typically you're dropping two guys back. And that means that you're usually going to have guys more around the numbers. Okay. So like dead, we're talking about the dead center of the field. There's no one covering up that exact spot. Cause it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have like one guy in the middle and then one guy on the half. And then you're just leaving like half of the field open. That just, right. usually that doesn't serve a purpose. And the only reason you would do that is if you're doing like a hard double team on a specific receiver. But even if you're doing that, that's a hard double. You're not, you know, you're not like playing a traditional um, zone or a deep zone coverage like that. So um, quarters, there's really kind of, there's, there are those four that you mentioned quarters, um, cover one, cover three and Tampa two. Uh, we'll start with cover one and cover three. Uh, cover one is, is known by basically um, one rat. That's what the Baylor team calls it. Uh, that's what Aranda calls it really is a uh, one rat. Um, that is something that is, um, basically, you'll, it's pretty easy to see if you're curious and you want to get into this, you're watching it, Baylor, just look at how many safeties are deep. If one safety is deep and towards the middle of the field and it's a standard down, it's probably cover one. If there's one safety deep and it's a what you think is probably a passing down, it's probably cover three. If, um, yeah, just that. Um Usually, you 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 bring a you bring the safety into the box for two reasons. The first one is to play the RPO, and the second one is to give run support, so you don't have to have guys in conflict. Wanna, uh, of course, I want to interrupt real quick, Jeff, just to just for the listener to be clear. When yeah. you say when you bring a safe, you know when you bring a safety into the box, what we're talking about here is you're leaving. You're not playing too high. You're playing single high. You got one guy back, yes. and so what we're talking about yes. is we're not talking about the single high safety. We're talking about the other one that could have been playing too high, but we're rolling that it has down walked into the box. Into the box. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, and that, you know, you do that for additional run support. You do that to deal with an RPO. If you have a team that does a lot of RPO, um, you'll see that a lot. Of course, you also give up pass coverage by not having a guy deep. It's easier to, there's a lot of structural weaknesses in a cover one or cover three variant that, um, are much more difficult to deal with, particularly vertical route combinations. But there are also advantages. A thing to think of in football, and I would always this is one of the reasons why I love the sport so much, is there's no true optimization. Okay, you can only optimize against what the other team is doing. Okay, it doesn't matter if you have like the greatest eight man defensive front ever. If they can block you they're probably going to score like 80 points, you know, teams are going to score 80 points a game against you because you've got eight defensive linemen on the field. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so it just, there's not, if you're thinking like, why are they running this? It's because the the coaches who know infinitely more than we do are looking at this and saying like, this is what we think generates the best possible matchup for us. And so it, it really truly is a, you're optimizing against the opposing um, defense, excuse me, the opposing offense as opposed to the opposing defense. So, uh, real quick, cover one versus cover three. Um, cover three, there's there's a saying for cover three, which is that for most teams, if you're going to play cover three, you kind of have to major in it. 
And the reason for that is cover three to do it well. And uh, cover three is the uh, famous ripple is if you are on Twitter at all and follow any scheme guy, any scheme guy always uses the phrase like looks like ripple is or something like that because it's a Saban term and people want to sound like they know what they're talking about. So it's, it's kind of a joke between us. Um, but uh, cover three, co- a man match cover three to a cover seven is, is known as kind of basically ripple is or similar variant. And that is, that's the major coverage that um, Nick Saban has used for years. And it's a coverage that um, the seat, you know, like I said, the Seahawks have used. There's a lot of people that, ha- that have relied on it, but it has a lot of rules. And so to run it well, you typically have to run that as your primary um, coverage because it's so complex because there are so many checks in it and we won't get into any of the checks, but there's so many checks that you have to deal with that particularly like at the high school level, you can't run that and run something else. It's just too difficult for your kids. Um, cover one, on the other hand, typically is tends to be a lot, a lot simpler in terms of particularly from a zone match, like your rules are just a little bit more basic than it is for a cover three, because in a cover three, your corners are dropping deep and then playing like basically back to the front. Whereas in a cover one, you're kind of admitting from the beginning that you're covering areas of the field even like low man zones where you could be having like a corner playing like a flat or uh, the curl or the out or any of those areas. Whereas in a cover three, those people have to play back in order to execute the coverage correctly. Um, so, you know, that if you're in, in terms of like, are you trying to figure out if, if you're at home and you're watching this and you're thinking like, what's the difference? How do we actually know this? I'll be honest with you. I, I, it doesn't really much matter. Um, if you if you really want to know that the two big classifications are middle of the field open and middle of the field closed, if you're trying to learn a little bit more and you're genuinely curious, start with that. And if you can identify that on a regular basis, that really drives more than anything else um, the coverage style that you want to see, like what they're going to be asking of the players. Um, that's that's really the big key. The one versus three really has a lot more to do with optimizing against who you're playing that week, I would say, more than anything else. Um, so a quarters or a quarters in Tampa 2 is too high back. And that is kind of the exact, really is the exact opposite, which is you have a lot, your pass coverage tends to be a lot stouter because you have the additional person back. Uh, your run defense tends to be a little weaker because you don't have that man up. And RPO games are a little bit more difficult to deal with because your safety, who the safety that is to the side of the RPO is in conflict. And what that means is that uh, they a, a, con, a conflicted safety, and it's not always the safety, but we'll say the safety for purposes of the pot. But a conflicted safety is a safety that has to cover two people at one time. And so they are in conflict because they don't know which one to do. The RPO takes advantage of this and basically says, whichever, like, you have to play two people, you can't. So whichever one that you are going to cover is the guy that I'm going away from, all right? Um, that is more difficult to deal with in quarters, for sure. But your pass coverage is significantly better. And so the best version of an Aranda defense, I think, is a team that can consistently sit in quarters um, and stop the run. Because if they can do that, it doesn't necessarily work at the NFL level. But when they can do that in a college game, there's just not a lot of options for the opposing the opposing team. Because C, if you see Big 12 title game. See Big 12 title game. I mean they're just they're not there. And it's yeah, I mean there's just really not much more to say that. Like if you can stop the run out of quarters 
and you can get pressure with the four that you're sending through creepers, you're going to have a great defensive game. And, you know, a lot, a lot of what we saw from Baylor in the Big 12 title game, whether it was the picks or the, the tip balls or whatever, I mean, they were extremely well coached going into that game. They knew the plays that, they, that Oklahoma State wanted to run. Um, and they just – they were really able to shut them down down i mean there's just no way to put it and th- they kind of took the same path forward into um the old miss game against the sugar bowl you know once once the quarterback got injured and the, you know they they had to rely on um they had to re- rely on the backup they played a lot of quarters particularly in the second half and they gave up a few runs but i mean they're just being at the game i can remember looking at it and going like there's just no, nobody open like that just there was consistently nobody open for the entire game Ole miss just didn't have anywhere to go with the ball so it's that is a I, that is a very very high level overview of those types of coverages. Um, so I'll toss this back to you. My first question to you is, if you were like if you were in a Tampa two or a quarter system, what is it that you're looking for from a cornerback? Uh, yeah, cornerback. Sorry, from a CB versus what you might typically see more of in like a cover one or cover three. So, um, what I my mind immediately goes to is great hips. You know, I think yeah. the reason that Al Walcott was so good, and I realize we never said this. We talked all about one, two, three, four quarters, everything. Um, you know, whenever you hear cover two, cover three, cover four, cover one, the four or the the number is referring to how many guys could potentially play deep on verticals. So, um, and I guess that's somewhat not true with, with one because – that's just the one is referring to one deep zone defender, but obviously if the wide receiver runs vertical, the corner has a man to man. But in general, that's kind of what that idea means. I just wanted to make sure we said that. But to answer your question, Jeff, you know, when you're playing with too high, I want corners with great hips because a lot of times when you're playing out of too high, obviously you have two deep safeties there who can help cap over and carry on the vertical and stay over the top of vertical routes, which means a lot of times your corners are going to be doing a lot more playing the flats. They're going to be helping out in run support. They're going to be doing a lot of kind of, uh, you know, zone match principles within the first 15 yards of the field. So I think that's why you saw somebody like Al Walcott be very successful last year because he, you know, he's a 4.65 guy. He's ver- He was verging on 215 pounds last year, which is for a corner just absurd. Um, and But he has yeah. really, really terrific hips. And the other thing is he has great eyes. He has an understanding of where the quarterback's going with the ball. So as you talked about, Aranda's kind of the master of this zone match style defense. Um, Walcott's really able to succeed by playing all of these kind of short to intermediate routes. He has enough speed to where he can carry guys downfield and be okay there, but that's not his strong suit. But when you have two high safeties who are playing over the top of him all the time, that's a that's an area where you can deal with corners who might not necessarily have the greatest amount of speed, but you're really kind of prioritizing more instincts and fluidity, I would say. Whereas in a pure cover one, you know, I think the games where I think about Baylor playing a lot of cover one last year, which on passing downs, it was almost never. But actually for the listener, if you go back and watch the Kansas State game last year, um, it was really, really interesting because I think it was the only time it happened all year. If you go watch a third down versus Kansas State, Baylor was almost always in cover one, which which never happened against anybody, anybody, anybody else. And the reason they did that is because they would bring in Lorando Johnson, who they um, who we expect to be a starting corner this year, and he would play in the slot. And Baylor just looked at Kansas State's receivers and said, we don't think any of these guys can beat any of our DBs, you know, embarrass them one-on-one. So what we want to do is we want to be able to 
you know, press up on him, and we know that our pass rush is going to get after Skylar Thompson, who was playing on a severely injured knee and ankle and stuff like that. He couldn't escape. And so they relied on they relied on that pass rush getting there. They played man coverage, and they just let JT Woods kind of roam over the top. But I think in general, like you said, Baylor wants to play out a too high. And as we're going to get into when we talk about the personnel for this year, I think they basically need to play out a too high, both because of who they have back there at safety and because of how good that defensive front is. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, specifically to your question, I think about fluidity and instincts more for when when the corner's playing with high safeties behind them. And then when you're playing with a corner who's really manning up on somebody, I think more about kind of pure coverage ability, um, you know, toughness, of speed, all kind of just like the pure physical traits that can man up one versus one versus somebody. Yeah, I think I think of Walcott specifically as being like the world's greatest Tampa two corner in the pros. Like that's a right. kid that would just absolutely dominated at uh, in that Chicago Bears or Tampa two style system. Okay, so the next the, the follow up to that then is what is the you know what is the difference between I'll give you so I'm gonna, three questions. The first is oh god what <laughs> does the you know, there's a term that we hear a lot now called moneybacker. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between a moneybacker and a strong safety? And the fall in the second part of this is the strong safety still really viable in 2022? Well, okay. So when I think about the moneybacker, you know, really the quintessential guy you think about there is Minka Fitzpatrick at Alabama, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, what yeah. he really did was he, he operated as a quote unquote strong safety, but he was really a spin down coverage man. Um, yeah. And what made him so good was that he wasn't just a third corner. He was truly a safety that had corner style coverage skills and could play backs out of the backfield. He could play tight ends, solo up, and he could also handle the speedy receivers. Those guys at the college level basically don't exist. Um, I mean, they do. Uh, they're going to have strengths and weakness. I mean, I think about somebody like JT Woods, right? JT could play as the money backer, he, the, and Baylor would use him to spin him down and cover guys out of the slot, right? But that was that was not JT's strong suit. Um, I, he wasn't bad at it, but yeah. he had really his, his long legs kind of prevented him from being an elite man coverage guy out of the slot who could kind of do everything. You really wanted him more over the top, and so you know these for Baylor this year I don't think either of their safeties you would describe as like one of these money backers um I the 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 reason that term came out Jeff I'm, you might know the etymology of that term but there's so many different names now for um all of these kind of versatile hybrid style players yeah. um and that one came out of the Saban system I'm sure is there a specific like meaning and reason for that term or is it just another different moniker for a different new position that's being played now no it's it's not I, not at all I think the, the at the NFL level the guy that really comes to mind um is Cam Chancellor yeah, for the Cam. and yeah, yeah and the uh, the other thing for a money backer is you need a and this is much more difficult to do at the pro level than at the college level. But at the pro level, to be to, to do that role, you have to be able to fill the B gap. Right. And that's that's something that you can do at the college level, but at the pro level, like you gotta be a dude to stick your head in there. I like that's not that's not for the faint of heart. Um and I the guy that kind of in a weird way for, for guys that are old enough that to remember him, uh basically Oklahoma Roy Williams for the Cowboys was kind of the quintessential example of that guy but he was a guy that got kind of played out of the nfl because he was a run stuffing safety that would have been great in today's game but he was kind of caught in this no man's land of prior to you know 
if it had been in the 1990s, he'd have been a Hall of Famer. And if it had been in the 2020s, he would have been a Hall of Famer. But he had managed to play at like the one time frame where you where that wasn't a normal um, skill set that was being asked. And so he didn't really have a role after a couple of years. And I, I always think of him because he, he's a great example of a guy that just happened to play at the wrong time. Because if he played 20 years prior or 20 years later, he would have absolutely been in the Hall of Fame. But he just didn't have a role. Um, okay. And then so the... Uh, the, the last one I'm going to ask you is what are you what are you looking for from a free safety in a cover one because that's also that's the other big position that you really have to have a specialty player at which yeah. is if you're going to run a lot of middle of the field close stuff you have to have a very specific type of type of player and what does that player need to do and do you think that guy's on the roster I don't think Baylor has that guy on the roster this year um, you know I think Devin Neal who's going to be there starting you know Baylor calls it the weak safety it's the boundary safety it's the strong safety whatever you want to call it the guy who generally is thought of more as a on the continuum of, of the run stuff or to the pass defender Devin Neal is going to play to that strong side or that weak side I guess you could call it um, let's call it the boundary I think he could do it but the reason why I don't think Baylor has one on the roster is because these kind of JT Woods types really just don't come around very often because you got to be a, you got to understand the defense because, you know, completely because you need to understand where all of your other guys on the field are. And you have to understand offense because you need to understand from certain formations where the most likely vertical threats are supposed to come from on the field. If you're really the if you're really the man back there who has to kind of keep the cap on top of everything, you got to be able to in, you know, in the span of a few seconds when you're lining up, look at the offensive formation recognize the personnel, you know, recognize splits where guys are lined up. And from that kind of figure out, you know, where does my attention need to be most focused? Because if you're staying over the top of their slow slot receiver, there's not really a lot of point to that, right? You really need to be kind of honing towards the the most threatening aspect of the field. The other part of that, obviously, is you just need pure speed and athleticism and fluidity to kind of get anywhere. What I think you see a lot of times in college is you'll see these teams playing middle of the field closed. And unfortunately, I think BYU did this somewhat against Baylor last year where they had a single safety back there. And I don't know if that dude really made a play all game. He just didn't have the athleticism to kind of stay over the top of everything and cover everything. I think he had one good play where he broke up a pass to Ben Sims in the end zone with a good hit. But I think a lot of times in college, you see these dudes who are kind of sitting back there in the middle of the field. I call them like the frat bro, the frat bro free safety intramural. You know, you go out to intramurals and the the, yeah. the douchiest guy on the team always wants to play safety and he sits back there and reads the field and does nothing. Um, I think sometimes college guys, college uh, single high free safeties can be somewhat vulnerable to that as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think Baylor has a couple of younger kids who could potentially get there in a few years, but it's not a position you really want a true freshman stepping into unless yeah. they're like a true all world five-star type player. So yeah, yeah, I think we're kind of getting to the point here. Baylor's going to be a too high team this year. No doubt. Um, I think their free safety, who's going to play this year, Devin Lemire, uh, you know, he's a four, six, five guy and he's not a guy who looks great when he turns his hips and runs um, downfield. He's really more of a kind of a back-to-front type player. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a lot of single high this year because it's it's a pretty special it's a special requirement of skills because it's not just athleticism. It's really knowledge of the defense and of how o- opposing offenses work as well. Yeah, uh, two things I'd add to that. Uh, the first one is um, just, just to clarify, there is no future uh, – 
deep field safety that w- on the team or that would ever join the team that we think would be douchey. We're just you know <laughs> making that point of like if you've ever been to those flag uh, those flag fo- football games, those yeah. Euro games, you know the guy we're talking about. <laughs> um, but the other one that I would add on to that, particularly at the free safety spot, is you're in. It, you have to have linebacker level instincts because mm-hmm. when you're that deep and you have to cover the width of the entire field, you have like. It's almost imp- like you physically can't do that. You have to be able to, based off of the, 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 you know, if you picture yourself standing in the middle of the field and you see the receivers like moving toward you, you have to know how to move your body like even a few yards and to be able to turn your hips in such a way that when you need to go, you can go like extraordinarily quickly. And there's almost no way to teach that outside of just kind of saying, you have to have phenomenal instincts around where you think that ball is going. And that's uh, to go back to Earl Thomas. That's really what made Earl Thomas so incredible. Like Earl Thomas would routinely break on crossing routes, like before the guy even would come uncovered and the, the uh, quarterback, you know, if that was their second read, the quarterback would like look to their first read and Earl Thomas would routinely see that like that guy's covered. He would see the crossing route coming across and he would break to the crossing route before the quarterback would even like go to that read. Um, it's a very difficult skill set. And uh, it's, it's something that if you have, it's kind of, you know, it's all world and uh, the heartbreak kid. Like, I think he's probably the best pure version of a free safety that Baylor's had in a number of years. But he, I he also, also I don't really think good. That, he was really good running the alley too. I think that's what yes, a lot of fans was. didn't understand about JT was that he's been described in, in these, since he got drafted in the third round. I mean, is he a, he, is he a true center field type? Like yes and no. Like I think, I think he has phenomenal athleticism. His hips are okay. And he's obviously fast as hell. But I think what really made him good, especially in college, was, and I think you saw this to perfection in the Oklahoma game and the Ole Miss game, his ability to, as you were just saying, to to in, intuitively know the angles he has to take to make the tackle that's going to happen 30 yards away from him, that yeah, is a, a very- really tough yeah. skill. And unfortunately, we saw with his battery mate, Christian Morgan, Christian just doesn't have that skill. Uh, Christian yeah. has great athleticism, but oftentimes you'd see him take that angle. And by the time he got to the ball carrier, tackling is all about leverage. And if your leverage is off by even half a yard, things get really tough for you. And that's when you see the big misses yeah. in the open field. So yeah, a, a, a guy who can really run the alley and have those great instincts. And what I mean by running the alley is imagine you're back there at free safety you know, the ball is being spilled out to the wide side of the field. And you can see the running back is either about to get a five-yard gain or a 50-yard gain. And it depends on whether that free safety can close at the right angle and make the tackle in the open field. JT was awesome at that. Yeah, something I'll add on to that. So if, if, if anyone that's ever played has has heard a coach say the following line of uh, sidelines never missed a tackle. I mean, I think that's like one of the, one of the like Mount Rushmore uh football coach sayings, sidelines, <laughs> sidelines never miss the tackle. Um, a, a, a phrase that I have heard, I don't know if Baylor uses it or not, but a phrase I've heard multiple coaches say is uh, running the J. And you'll sometimes you'll hear a commentator say, you're trying to get inside out pursuit. And the reason for that is you don't like big plays happen with cutbacks. And so typically when the, like to go back to your example of the, the, uh, the, uh, running back, you know, breaking out wide. And a really, a, I think a really good example of this, honestly, is the uh, fourth down stop by uh, McVeigh. Mm-hmm. If you see the sideline from McVeigh, you'll notice he actually angles in to push the guy back 
a yard or two before he flattens out. And from his position, it really is like he's running like a J. You know, you think about it like you kind of angle yourself in. You can't, y'all can't see my hands. I'm sorry, but you know, you angle and you kind of run past and you bend back out. That pushes the uh, that pushes the guy going wide out, and it gives you more leverage. And so, if McVeigh had just tried to like square him up in the hole he probably would have missed. If McVay had just like run to the sidelines, he would have been vault. Like the running back could have stopped on a cutback, cut back inside of him. There was nobody else there to make the play. And it would have been, would have been a touchdown, but McVay ran the J, which means that he was able to push him back about two to three yards. And that was the difference between Baylor going to the sugar bowl and not, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but you know, like, from his mm-hmm. for, on that play from McVeigh was he was able to do that. He ran the J. And so um that's like that skill set is is tough to do because it's a little unnatural to do that because you're not running to where you think the guy is going to be. You're having to push him into where you want to get him in order to put yourself in a good position to tackle. And that that's hard to do because it's not a natural movement to do to do that. You have to have a lot of experience and you have to have a lot of trust that th- that's actually how it's going to work. So uh, we, we ended up kind of talking a little bit more about the free safety position. But uh, yeah, th- that's a skill set that's very tough to develop. Um, it just yeah. is. I, I want to ask you a question that I asked Ron Roberts last week. And you, you know, I talked to him about Baylor's dime defense. And so dime in general means subbing off a linebacker, adding in an additional corner or safety, an, an additional cover man. And so what we saw in the TCU debacle was that Baylor would remove their outside linebacker. So they would play with a true three man defensive line front and then with, you know, sub out that outside backer. And in that game, they would insert Jaron McVay. So they have an additional safety who could play um, coverage. And I asked Ron Roberts this. I said, so y'all did that against TCU, but for the remainder of the year when y'all played this dime package, y'all elected to um, leave that outside linebacker up there on the front. And so you would have a four-man front. And instead of instead of subbing out the outside linebacker, y'all would sub out one of the inside linebackers and bring in McVay. So essentially, instead of being a 3-2-6, they started playing like a 4 um, a 4-1-6. And his answer to that was basically, it's like, well, you've got to get the best 11 on the field. And we figured out that that was the best 11. Do you have a kind of a, I don't want to say more insightful than Ron. I feel like he didn't want to give any way any state secrets, but kind of, do you, I foresee that still being the path this year to where they, they, and I think really for me, it's about pass rush. They wanted to make sure that they still had pass rush versatility out there on the field. Um, is that kind of the path you see Baylor going down? Because one of the hot topics in the Big 12 this offseason has been, well, we're going to expect more spread passing sets. We're going to expect more 10 personnel with four wide receivers on the field. And what we saw from Baylor is that against 10 personnel, they like to play this dime package. So what do you foresee Baylor doing on in that arena this year? It's always fun when, and I don't I mean this negative at all, it's always fun when you ask me a question, and we do this all the time and we're chatting normally, so this is not this is not anything different, y'all. But uh, like Travis will explain something perfectly, and then he'll say something like, what, is that it? What, do you, what do you think? Can you explain it? And I'm like, my, my response is like, well, you just explained it perfectly, so we're good. Yeah, I, I, yes, 100%, I agree with you. I, they're... They are going to do. They're going to run that dime. Like I, I, I think Tech's a good example. Like Tech is going to do a lot of ten personnel this year. I think, um, and even when they don't, and they're in eleven, they're going to run like ten personnel style p- plays out of eleven. Like that's what they're going to do. Um, 
and just you can get away like that that's the reason that's the reasoning for having the defensive lineman that they have when you can really rely on your defensive front to keep offensive linemen off of your 210 pound guys consistently you can just kind of flood the field with fast dudes and guess what like playing pass coverage with fast guy with like more fast guys on the field is actually easier than playing pass coverage with like <laughs> less fast guys on the field I mean, you know who knew um so i i you're right on that i think it's i'm gonna be really the thing that i'm really curious about that actually when they run dime because i think they're gonna run a lot of it yeah. um i'm a lot more interested in what the front looks like to be blunt when they yeah. do that because it how they how they generate a pass rush out of that is is the interesting question but they are gonna run a lot of dime because yeah. if they think that they've got a matchup like if they, we we harp on this a lot but the Baylor pass rush or the Dave Aranda pass rush, the Dave Aranda, Ron Roberts. We should always be sure to include him because the two of those men have really, it's a lot of joint communication between the two of them for this defense. It really is their, the two of their defense. It's not just Aranda's, but um, you know, some, uh, what they want to do in, in pass rush is they really want to basically set up one particular guy on on a pass rush. The other two to three people or three to four are usually just playing contain or trying to set up the guy that is actually executing the rush. It's like so, the defense. It's the pass rush version of the Bryles uh, route combinations where yeah. Bryles route combinations yeah. were really two or three dudes doing something so that one guy could be targeted. <laughs> yeah. So that one guy could be targeted against a specific defensive one. That's a hundred percent right. And I, that's that's how they set up their pass rush game. And so th- I think they're going to be able to generate a good pass rush um, with basically bigger guys on the field. But that's always been the knock against having the stouter DL is your pass rush really suffers. And so it's it, how they manufacture the pass rush it really is going to be the difference between, I think, honestly, like winning total. Like that's one of the that's one of the two biggest questions for me. Like overall, we'll talk about that on another pod. But they're going to play a ton of dime, and how they generate the pass rush is honestly, I think, more interesting than, than that because the dime worked. I mean, they ran a ton of dime against Ole Miss. If you're curious what that looks like, go look at the Ole Miss game anytime that Ole yeah. Miss went into 10, and sometimes even in 11, like on passing downs. Yeah. So when they were in 11, they still just ran dime. And, I mean, they snuffed out that passing game. They really did. Yeah. And it just – you know, it won't be that good early in the year for a bunch of reasons. You know, they're new guys back in the back end. They they're not they don't have four weeks to game plan around one opponent, but the yeah. tools are definitely there to to play that well. Well, and the reason that they were able to to do that is you especially I mean especially in that Ole Miss game uh, because Ole Miss played out of so much ten, which often meant it was a game of. Ole Miss is five offensive linemen and a running back versus Baylor's four defensive linemen and Terrell Bernard back there as the solo inside linebacker. And the reason why Ole Miss couldn't run the ball was obviously Baylor had great defensive line play, but in that kind of style, it's the great defensive line game uh, play. Really all they're doing is plugging their gaps so that Terrell Bernard can cook from that linebacker position. And 
the defensive line did held up there in the bargain, and then Terrell played fast as hell, and whoever his one-versus-one matchup was, he would dominate them and then go make the tackle, right? And so yep. that's going to be going to be what I'm curious to see Doyle do this year is, A, is do- Dylan Doyle the only guy left on the field when they play this dime? Is, is he playing that Terrell Bernard role? Last year he would get subbed off, but I expect that he'll be the solo guy left this year. And, B, if he's subbed off – you know, can you know, he's a great, great run defender, but can he be a great run defender when it's kind of that five on five game as opposed to like, you know, when they're playing more out at 11 and 12, when Doyle's kind of in the middle of a bunch of bodies? You know, can Doyle be explosive and violent and aggressive in these kind of more mono mono situations? That, that'll be something I've got my eye on because it all starts with stopping the run, obviously. So you got to be able to stop the run if you play dime. So I'll be I'll be really interested to see where Doyle how Doyle does there and, and it'll be crucial to him for, also for his all American stuff, because that's where you get a lot of your stats as a linebacker. When you're playing yeah. as the only linebacker out there, get sacks, yeah. t- TFLs, everything else. So do you, do you foresee him being able to fulfill that role? Well, or is that kind of a question mark for you? It's not for me at all. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in Doyle. Like he, you know, we, I've said this a couple of times on the pod, like the first time he came in in 2020 and I looked at him and I thought, man, I, I just don't see it. And like that kid proved me wrong. Like I was wrong about him, full stop. And it's it's always it's like it's fun to say that because you know like these kids work so much harder than than any fan can really understand. Like the amount of work that goes into playing college football is immense. And so it's really fun to be like that kid's really damn good. And I was wrong about him, and I was wrong about Doyle. Um, so I th- I th- I, th- I think he's actually re- I think he can play that role really well. The thing that I would be curious about will be. I don't think that he is going to be able to do the insert pass rush stuff as well as Jones. Right. And so a thing that I will be curious, I mean, this is a little into the weeds, but you know, if I'm, if I'm drawing up the defense from scratch, if I want to rush the linebacker, I'm probably putting in Jones yep. and for everything else, I'm probably putting in Doyle. But the problem is then that like that tips the play in a very obvious way. Like right. you, it's just, it, it just becomes too obvious what's going on. So I, I think that he could do that really well. I think you could see a, probably a different way of saying is that if on standard downs when they get when they do stand when they run dime on standard downs, I think it's Doyle one hundred percent. Yes. When they do dime on passing downs, yep. I could see Jones being the guy. Yep. Yeah. Um, just because. Yeah, because Jones is not it, Jones is not as good in the run game. His footwork is not nearly as good as Doyle's. Um, but Jones has a real good feel on that pass drop. We've seen evidence of that on some all 22 tape and he's a better insert pass, you know, pass blitzer. So it allows, if you know you're in a passing down situation, then it just gives you a little bit more flexibility there. So I, you know, from a dime perspective, that would be my guess is that Mm -hmm. we start seeing that, but I've got no, like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see dual play. Like I, if he can get more, like if he can turn, he was just inconsistent last year. If he can figure out those inconsistencies, that that man's going to cook and he's going to be really good this year. That's going to be fun to watch. Yep. All right. So we're nearing towards the end here. So I want to finish with a couple of quick statements. Um, and then I want to finish with a question for you, Jeff, uh, because I think it's kind of the crucial question that we haven't gotten to. So to start with the couple of statements um, at corner, the reason we haven't talked about corner much this year or much this podcast is because it's kind of a shrug your shoulders position. Um, Baylor is absurdly talented at this position. They have six scholarship players there. I think four of them are ready to play this year, definitely. And honestly, all six of them could be ready. Um, And I think at least 
four of those guys test like first or second day NFL draft picks. And I'm not saying that with Homer glasses on, like if you see their testing, it's, it's about as good as athleticism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're, I mean, their 40 time, their height, everything else. I mean, it is just loaded. So I've kind of just said like, look, I mean, the cornerback coach is Kevin Curtis. He's got, I mean, he's got plenty of clay. It's just a matter of molding it. Um, and so I'm really not worried about that position because the talent that Baylor's operating with there is just pretty absurd. Um, so I think the the talent is there at corner for them to do everything they want to do defensively. It's just not a very interesting discussion for me because I don't think there's there's question marks, but there's not a lot of, uh, I don't know, insightful discussion to be had about it. So just want to well, a, comment, a follow up comment I'll make to that is I, we, I think we talked about this with the running backs because I, I, we talked about that phrase like you name yourself the starter, the coach doesn't right. name you the starter. A thing I would I would encourage fans to think about, which is, and I think we've seen this pretty much everywhere, but the offensive line and the reasoning for offensive line requires more cohesiveness than I think you can use to to do this route. But it would not surprise me if in the first like three to five games that you know we see like four guys playing almost equal number of reps, and then the other two guys are still playing like pretty heavily, and then at some point in October that switches to where you've got a certain set of corners playing like two thirds to three quarters of the snaps and are Mm -hmm. are really kind of your starters. Like I, each of these guys is going to have strengths and weaknesses, but a lot of these guys, like, you know, we talked about the rules earlier, like they're going to, they're going to be misses early in the season. They're going to be blown coverages. Every single team deals with it. Like that's not going to be unique to Baylor. That's like, it's not mean that they're, they're bad. I mean, you can go look at any in, in the NFL specifically, and I'm, I like to reference the NFL about this, but the NFL has really morphed into this idea that like the first four weeks almost don't matter as long as you can go 500 because what you're really building towards is playing well in November and December. And so if when you watch an NFL game, like guys blow coverages all the time in the first four weeks, particularly when they're new. I mean, it just happens. And it just, you get a lot better as the season goes on. And so like, I'm expecting there to be a lot of us. It would be weird if there weren't. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that a particular player is bad, or it doesn't mean that that guy can't play. Like it doesn't mean any of that. I, it just means that they made a bust on a play. Okay. Yeah. And so if they're going to be looking at who, like who learns the rules the best, who is able to be aggressive on, uh, on their zone match, like who, who can go and contest the ball, who's physical when they need to tackle because they, they like the ability to be able to send um, corners on blitzes. Uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. They did that a lot last year uh, with Walcott. I think Ron actually talked about that with you, maybe. I can't remember. I, I read that somewhere. Maybe uh, it was I don't think it was with me, but Okay, um, but they, but they did that a lot, and so I, you know, we don't talk about these guys specifically because I, I think when we were planning out for the season, we were talking about stuff we wanted to do, and one of the things that I don't know if I talked to you about this, but that I thought was, you know, coming in like after the second or third game and like having a pop, we talk about okay, like these are all the defensive linemen. How are they playing this year? Yeah. How you know, what do they look like? Same thing with cornerbacks. Like these are all the cornerbacks. This is what this guy's good at. This is what that guy's good at. Everything yeah. else. What Roberts and Aranda are really good at is they're really good at taking the guys, finding what they're good at, and then building the defense over the course of the year to put those guys in positions to win games. Mm-hmm. And they did that last year with the secondary, uh, particularly with Petrie. Like they found out what they had in Petrie in 2020, and they practically rewrote the defense to to feature him on a lot of plays mm-hmm. in the second half of 2020 into 2021. You'll see a lot of similar stuff out of the, out of the secondary, uh, particularly the cornerbacks this year. Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting position because the, yes. the 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 upside there is pretty limitless. But I do think what you just talked about with tackling, um, it's a it's a weird 
it's a weird situation where honestly tackling is near the forefront I think of what they want because when you play out of too high your corners are playing on the edges and tackling a lot more Tack- than tackling. otherwise yeah. so yeah, okay and, Quinn, uh, go ahead Jeff. oh sorry I was going to say that that was a that's a uh, Bill Belichick same which is like all 11 guys have to tackle like yep. it doesn't matter if you're the world's greatest man coverage specialist like he like Bill Belichick would not have wanted Deion Sanders because Deion Sanders doesn't tackle. Like you yeah. can't, it's really hard to run zone match coverages if your corners are not really good tacklers. Mm-hmm. And so that's more so than a normal, um, than maybe a normal defense that you would think about, uh, the ability to tackle and the ability to like actually stop a man's momentum rather than just getting him on the ground is more important in this defense than it might be under, um, for example, like the, uh, the Phil Bennett defense, like right. it was nice that the corners could tackle, but that that just that was like the fifth thing they needed to be able to do. Yeah. Um, it's basically the first or it's either one A or one B in this system. Yep. Yeah. And um, real briefly, I mean, I, I like that Lorando Johnson, who figures to be one of the starting corners, spent a year or two at star position because you have to play physical at that spot. And so I think yeah. he was a guy who was a very poor tackler out of high school, but he's become good because of his experience there. He's become a much better one. Yeah. yeah. And Mark Milton, sure. despite being a string bean, uh, really puts his face mask in there too. So, okay. Rapid reaction, Jeff, like truly rapid, because I know you got to get out of here. I have two more questions I want to ask. So let's do this first one real quick. Okay. I've been saying yeah. Devin Neal, best Baylor, by the time he leaves in two or three years, best Baylor safety of the last 10 or 15 years. What do you think to that? He's in the conversation. I, I need to see. We need to see what his instincts really look like. Um, I, the uh, there are, there are a few guys that really jump into my head when I think about that. I, Petrie. I'm not. Petrie I'm not including is, Petrie here. Okay. okay. <laughs> to be yeah, clear. The reason I said like Petrie would be his safety in pretty much any other position, like any other defense, and so it's like really hard for me to put that because that that dude is just no, a man. Yeah, he's and, not going to be better um, than Petrie. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to be better than Petrie. I, you know, but the. Right now, I, I think there's a real good chance of that. I, he just he has got. If you look at his athletic measurables, he tests like a top five safety. I mean that, that that's that's not a lie. Like he top is, five what? is uh, top five in a sorry top five pick. Like if you know if he had the instincts, he's the guy that is going like number six overall to. Uh, you know, I don't know who's going to suck the this Jets. year. Atlanta, Atlanta's <laughs> going to suck. The Jets, the Jets are going to suck. Like he's a guy that is going to that is he has the athletic measurables to test that. He tests like a Minka Fitzpatrick. Like he he's that level. He was as forty as that speed. Like he had the same weight. All of that coming out of high school before he even got into college and started doing the college workout. Um, he is an absurd athlete. Um, and I and to point that out, like um, Cincinnati, who you know, we absolutely adore their coaching staff. Like there's a reason that Cincinnati wanted him so badly because that dude is, has all the athleticism in the world. Um, we need to see him like over the course of the year, like he has yeah. all the tools to do that. But you know, we have, you know, there are three guys safeties that really kind of come to mind that I think of that are, if, you know, honestly, I think of a mod Dixon all the time. And if he'd been in a better situation, I think probably could have been in an NFL safety, but just, yeah. That's a tough ask at Baylor for what they asked him to do and how how or how little he got coached in some ways. You're saying nobody um, can be better than Mike Hicks. That's what you're about to say. Right? Yeah, no one can be better than Mike Hicks. But yeah, I, I, do, I do think he's in that discussion for sure. Okay. All right. And this is what I want to end with. Um, as much time as you have left, Jeff, I just want to hear you cook on this question, okay? Devin Lemire figures to be the starting free safety. Um, there's a few other guys in contention, but Lemire is a nerd. He's a computer science major. You want him to be your best Sorry, friend. You want him to join the podcast. I, I understand. I do. 
Um, he is. I love him. He is a Gary Patterson safety. He was committed to TCU for a while, and they wanted him bad. When he flipped to Baylor, it was not because TCU dropped him. They wanted him. Um, but he's a very – I don't want to say – strange is probably too strong of a word. He's not a strange player. He is just a very um, – yin and yang i guess like kind of a very clear strengths and weaknesses player for me he plays back to front um he has a ridiculous broad jump and he can come from 15 yards off to the line of scrimmage and explode forward with the best of them but i watched him turn his hips and try and run with javon gibson and it didn't look good okay he is just not a kid who has natural great hips to flip and run down the field so this creates a pretty clear question for me when Baylor plays out of too high, you can afford to have a safety who doesn't have to turn and run all the time because obviously he has additional help covering deep. That's not his primary responsibility. But when Baylor's playing 10 personnel, when Xavier Worthy's lined up in the slot, what does Baylor do? Can they protect guys like Lemire? And is the answer, am I doing one of my, I'm answering the question as I answer the, as ask the question, is the answer you just need to get pass rush in the first three seconds to protect guys like Lemire? Uh, no, I, I, it, it, well, pass rush in the first three seconds. I mean, if you yes. can get a guy at, that, that, so that everyone knows, like if you can get a quarterback moved off the spot within three seconds, the, basically the defensive success rate goes through the roof and you'll, you see that you see that, um, against Oklahoma and I, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to pass back to that. Cause I think it's, a, that's probably the best example of like pass rush because people look at the Ole Miss and they got like 65,000 sacks and that was awesome. But the pass rush against Oklahoma, I actually thought was a little better. And the reason I say that is because they didn't get him on the ground all that, you know, as much as we would have wanted, but that they moved the him plan. off the spot. That wasn't the game plan. Like the game plan was get him off the spot and get him to move, like keep him from moving right. And that they did that very well. And if you can get the quarterback off his spot within three seconds, you're going to have like the defense is going to have a good success rate. So, you know, if, if anyone that they get to do that is going to significantly improve the secondary coverage for Lemire though. um, I think what it comes down to for him is it, how you open your hips and how you need to chase really does matter from that spot. You know, he, um, the way that when you're turning and trying to like dig out so much of that really is anticipation. Um, You're not, it's football is not a game of lining up on, the track and beating a guy 40 yards down the field in order to then catch the ball because you've beaten the guy in a 40 yard dash football is understanding when you actually need to go and trying to position your body in such a way that even if you are slower than the guy, you can use your body to kind of cap him and sit over the top of him. Jeff, I want to real quick. I asked uh, Cody Alexander about this one time. Um, Mm-hmm. Who was yeah. the, you know he was the GA who yep. worked with Phil Bennett and I was like how did yep. y'all have these slow white safeties playing over the top of everything in practice were they just getting roasted over and over again and he was like no because we practiced full speed all the time and they understood their limitations so they understood how many yards they needed to play off how to flip their yes. hips and how to stay over the top so even though they were slower yeah. they could still do it effectively. They could do it effectively. That's 100% right. Now, at the NFL level, that doesn't necessarily work. But at the yeah. college level, like, I mean, the honest answer is like, we think about the four, six, five thing, but 
It should be noted that Georgia just won the national title with the quarterback that ran a four eight eight at pro day. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean a quarterback, not a safety, not a linebacker, a quarterback. Like there are no cornerbacks or safeties on the Baylor roster that are that slow. Right. So I mean a four six five is is plenty fast to be able to run that. I mean, we're talking about the distance over forty yards of, you know, like several inches. You know, I mean it just right. your anticipation can make up for that if you know how to do it. Um, that's that's the thing for him. But Lemire is going to need a lot of reps because if you don't have quite the equal athleticism in that way, you just kind of have to play out of it, which is you just get used to it. And, right. you know, you're, you're two yards closer, you're two yards in, you're two yards out. Like, you know, you position yourself one yard in a one yard closer to where you need to be pre-snap or you see that as the route combinations are unfolding. It doesn't matter that you run a four six five because you've already beaten them because you're a yard closer and that's far more than the gap between the other guy running a four three. I mean, it just is. Yeah. So, um, I, I I don't really have. I would have like, con- quote, I'm concerns. I don't have like concerns, but I, it's not the greatest fit for him early in the season. But you know, he, you just play out of it and you learn how to play it. And it just, I he's a computer science guy. I have all the faith in the world in him. Like, I don't even need to know anything about him. Like, I just know he's going to be the world's <laughs> greatest safety. Um, I, that is my that is my profession. I, well, it's not anymore. I I poorly manage people that are uh, better programmers than me now. But uh, you know, that's he's a good guy from what all I've seen, and I'm I'm excited to geek out about him about over the course of this. I would love to get him on the pod and just like find out like what are you studying? Are you doing operating systems this year? Are you doing discrete math? Like how is your data structures course? Are you, are they still using C++? Did they modernize? They use and go like all the nerd stuff. Like I would just get him on the pod and like, honestly, like you just be the pretty face and we would just be talking about yeah. nerd crap for yeah. 50 minutes. It'd be awesome. That'd be fine. But, um, to wrap that up and actually get back to the point, I, I don't, I don't worry about that. Um, he, you you kind of get you have to get used to it, but the other thing that they'll do is they'll they will flip those guys. Like Roberts is good enough, yeah. That they're gonna f- just flip those guys and not like based off pre alignment. You know, like are they gonna get in situations where Xavier Worthy motions across the field late and then there's not another option but to get him? Yeah, that 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 is going to happen. That will happen. Yes. Um, but that's not going to happen like every single play because when that happens, then all of a sudden, you know, the check, like, oh yeah, this is going to Xavier worthy. Like Mm. you're doing this because you're trying to get him soloed up. Everyone knows what that check is. If it's a passing down situation, they're trying to get him soloed up on the safety. You call your check. Like you've got the ability to call a check while that's going on to, to cap that. Um, it will require a little bit more work from them to build that stuff in, but that's where it helps that he's a smart guy. It's where it helps that he's a smart guy. And again, like it's a Randon Roberts. Like I, fans can rest in the knowledge that this defensive coaching staff, like you don't need to worry about are they going to put these kids in the best position. Like when I when when we say that this is one of the five best defensive coaching staffs in football, like I know that that's a lot of like eye rolling. These guys are like they're homers. They're all this kind of stuff. It's really true. I mean, it, it really is. And I don't, if you were to go ask Cody Alexander that question, uh, he would agree with you. I, yeah. He just, you know, there are not a lot of guys in the game that would look at the combination of Roberts and Aranda that really know ball and say like, yeah, I don't think those are one of the, that's one of the five best defensive <laughs> staffs in the game. And they yeah. just would tell you that it is. So it's, it's one of those things where if it was a lesser staff, I would be a little bit more concerned. But with this staff, I'm just kind of excited to see how they're going to solve the problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's really more of that. Like I just assume they're going to solve it and I'm just looking forward to seeing how they do it. 
Yeah, to to finish off here, you know, I, for the listener, I think what something that's worth pointing out real quick is that when teams that have more on are more unathletic on the back end, which Baylor obviously is going to be extremely athletic, but we're talking about one guy who runs like four six five here. So, but when teams like yeah, Wisconsin play, five. get like, exactly, I run like a six three now. I mean, like, yeah. come on, let's get serious here. When when teams like Wisconsin or like Iowa State, who aren't necessarily known for having the most athletic safeties in the world, when they fail against teams like Ohio State or the best passing offenses, it's not because these passing offenses just overwhelm them with pure pass game. Usually, the problem problem is that teams like Ohio State are so good in the run game that these teams have to allocate more resources and then that exposes yes, guys on the right. back end. With Baylor this year, I don't think there's a that's single team that, that they're play this year where they're going to have to allocate more resources to the run game. So that really yeah, helps I, I, them. I agree with that. Like prior to prior to any bowl game or we'll just say postseason because now we're close enough that I'm going to start knocking on wood and I don't want to say the P yeah, word. Yeah. But because it's going to come back to bite us. But um there is no one on the schedule that they should, based off current injuries. I'm going to be very clear with that. But there's no one on the current schedule where they're going to have to like consistently run uh, one rat or cover one. Maybe Texas because they do so much RPO game, right? But yeah. um, but you know, outside of that, like they don't need to do it. And so that they they're going to be able to protect those secondary players and really let them do a lot of like we talked about earlier, like mix and matching and finding the right combination of guys based on the coverages and the skill sets that they want to do. They're going to have some, they're going to have some runway to experiment in the first part of the season to really dial that in so that by the end of October, that they've really got that set going into some of the November games. Now at the, there are some big games earlier in October that'll be, probably a little bit more interesting, but as the, the same is true of the opposing team, right? The opposing teams don't have this stuff figured out either. You know, yep. Oklahoma doesn't know who all their guys are right yep. now. They don't. BYU doesn't know who all their guys are right now. They don't. Yep. Um, so it, you know, when you think about it that way, then it, it gets a little bit more comfortable knowing that you can expect those mistakes. Like those mistakes are going to happen for the other guys too early in the season. Okay. All right. Take as much time as you have left here, Jeff, better, same or worse. Baylor's pass defense 2022 compared to 2021. I'm going to say worse at the start of the season because there's going to be more blown coverages and that's going to be okay. Don't freak out about that. I will say by the end of the year right now, I'm going to say the same unless the front seven turns into basically if the front turns into like everything goes right for the front, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's going to be better because they're going to be blowing guys off the ball and quarterback's going to have two seconds where they have to move. And you can shut a lot of people down if you've got quarterbacks off the spot in two seconds. Um, but I'm going to say worse at the start, worse pass defense at the start. By the end of the year, the goal is to get to about the same level. And next year, it will be significantly better in the secondary. But it'll flip, of course, right. like 2023 will be better in the secondary, but it'll be better for there. And so, but I'm going to throw one more thing out there. And this is still Amir on the off chance you're listening to this. Please come on the <laughs> pod. I want to talk to you about like the differences between an AVL tree and a red black tree or a skip tree. Like I, like I want to have those conversations with you. I'm going to like, <laughs> like, well, let's do this, man. Let's talk about lists and C plus plus. I'm like, let's just do this stuff. So, well, I just deleted that out of the pod. So he's not, I'm just kidding. No, I'm happy <laughs> to. Um, great. Well, um, I can't wait. So this next week we should do um, a big 12 preview and then we'll release a full on Baylor preview, which could reach into the nine hour mark. We'll see how long that one goes. Um, That'll probably be a two parter, honestly. Like I, cause I think it's going to be that, like, I think we have like five different areas we want to cover. I mean, we just did like 
what an hour and 20 I minutes know, and we, I know. we didn't even do all that much like individual players like we only yeah. did a few of them so i know it's it's painful it happens every time but you know we got to lean into it but jeff yeah. thanks again um of i'm course. joining the hectic life crew got the windows being replaced today trying to gonna try and edit out all <laughs> these awful sounds in the background but all right we'll talk about big 12 soon um and apparently they just named ewers the starting quarterback at texas so that'll be something interesting to talk about uh, but yeah, until next time, Jeff. All right, man. Y'all take care.